We're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 this evening. And I, I could weave my way through this chapter and uh, talk about it for a long time. But um, I'd like for us to just begin at verse 14. Of course, our focus verse this week is verse 18. Um, I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. But what, what does it take to get there? That verse starts with a conjunction, and... It starts with a conjunction and. So that means um, this is what I need you to do. And when you do this, then this is what I'm going to be. So we look at the Old Testament and he spoke to them and he said that I'm going to be a father to you, but you have to be my children. Like this is a decision that you make. And it's the same spirit that carries over in the New Testament. Paul is saying this is what the Lord has said. If, if you'll do what you know is righteous, you'll be my children and I'll be your father. Um, this is a concept that I wish so bad I, I could somehow break down to you tonight. So let's, let's begin at verse 14. This is, uh, this scripture, I'm not saying it's taken out of context because there's truth to the principle, but about the only time you ever hear this verse quoted is when they you don't want somebody to date somebody out of church. It's true. They start to date somebody. You know, the word of God said you shouldn't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So that means you can't have a girlfriend that's not in church. Well, that's true. But was Paul really speaking to the youth group at Corinth about dating? Or was there a deeper principle here? So let's read it. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers okay for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness oh lord this is so powerful fellowship does not just mean communication it's the it's the entering uh into a mutual agreement of ideas and this next word is even deeper. It's more intimate. What communion hath light with darkness? This is powerful. What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idolatry, with idols? Now, I want you to look at your neighbor tonight, and I want you to preach a little bit like Paul would have. Just point your finger at him and look at him, and, and I want you to tell them this with me, if you would, right now. I want you to tell them, what was it Paul said to him right here? You are the temple. Are you picking up what Paul was putting down? You are the temple. You are the temple. Somebody shout, I am the temple. I got to be honest with you. Sometimes I feel like a broken record. I just preached to you the other night. We are the church. It's because it's all through the book. You can't get away from it. I am God's representation in the earth. 
Oh, man, I don't know if we'll ever get there tonight, church. I'm going to try my best, okay? You are the temple of the living God. And then he reminds them, as God hath said. In other words, this is not Paul telling you my opinion. I'm telling you what God said. God said, I will dwell in them. I will walk in them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. And then here comes the part that I struggle with so much all the time when people say, I received Christ today. The question is never, are you willing to receive Christ the question is, does he receive me? And I will, that conjunction is there again, and I will receive you. If you come out from among them, if you'll come out and be separate, and if you'll not touch the unclean thing, then, he said, I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Um, uh, you can be seated. I want to tell you that there's more to this thing than Pentecostal rhetoric. This is not an apostolic veneer that people just look at like we want to be hard because we're trying to control people's ideas. Look, here's basically what it comes down to. If you don't believe this book, this church... And my voice have no value in your life. This book is the most powerful possession of what we have. But even the parts that I don't like. And I, and I, I would say this. And please don't think I'm, uh, I'm like going to be struck down with lightning. I'm saying because it's contrary to my spirit. There's even parts that I disagree with. I don't disagree with it as in I think it's wrong. I disagree with it as in like it disagrees with my flesh. It's contrary to me. It's not the way I want it to be. I want everybody to go to heaven. I, I want everybody to be the sons of God. But not Pentecost. The book that I just read to you tonight. This, this precious word says that as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. And the same word tells us, and, and I'm just going to get this in your spirit at the beginning tonight. I don't know how preachy that I'm, I'm going to be because I've got to get this to you. I, I just want to get this out of my spirit. I want to teach to you a little bit tonight. But the scripture said that if any man hath not the spirit of Christ, they are none of his. Okay, so I want to talk to you about the only thing that really that would cause us to not be sons and daughters and him to be our father would have to be a spirit of carnality. Would you agree? Because the carnal mind is enmity with God. 
As a matter of fact, the word says that to be spiritual is life. To be carnally minded is death. And this is the kind of stuff that once we hit a certain polished stage of professional Pentecostalism, it's really, really hard for us to even get what it's saying because we just read it so good. Is that all right? Can I teach you all tonight? Can, can I just take a few minutes? I'll probably get you out of here early. But there's things about the Word of God that when I read them, they grieve me. And I see trends in, in uh, the movement, if I could say that as a whole. I see trends that, that are frustrating because somehow the good old gospel ship has turned into a big cruise ship that if, if the entertainment is not just right on board the cruise, then we're going to pick another cruise line. Woohoo! It's like if we, don't, if we don't like the menu that we serve on here, then we're going we're gonna to get another travel agent to book us with somebody else until we find the church that, that we like. And if it's one that preaches a little lighter and lets up on this and lets up on that, then, then that's where we're good. But here's what I want to tell you tonight. Just because somebody refuses to preach it doesn't change God's mind. I had someone tell me one time, they said, I disagree with your doctrine. Uh, we were speaking about a certain doctrine. They said, I disagree with your doctrine. And we talked it out. There was no hatred. There was no, it wasn't an ugly conversation. They just said, I disagree with, with your doctrine. Um, they said, I, I do see why you preach it. I do see why you see it that way. And I said, well, that, that's okay. I, I'm all right with you disagreeing with it. It's, it's fine. It's no problem. And they said, well, do you mind if we attend here even though we disagree with it? And I said, do you mind hearing me preach it? They said, no, not at all. I said, then I don't mind you sitting here. Is, is that okay? I mean, I, I wasn't trying to be ugly to somebody. The, the principle is just simply this. I don't have to like it. But it's right. It, it, it's the book. And uh, laws are very interesting because you don't have to like the law. You know, I, I've, I've ridden motorcycles for many years since, since I had my license. I rode them when I was a kid. I, I like motorcycles, and the, the older I get, I like the, the big ones that, that are kind of slower. Uh, when I was younger, I liked the crunched-up ones that went fast. And, uh, you know, you got all that horsepower down, down there between your knees, and you're, you're holding on, and you look, and, and you realize just because it says it'll do 160, it's not a good idea. Especially when you have police officers that are listening to what you're saying. And, uh, you know, it's like... The spirit of the age, and I don't want to get sidetracked here, but the spirit of the age is so frustrating to me because you break the law and then get mad at the officer. Like, we're, we're like, there's a big fad going on, on, on the Internet. I don't know if you ever watch it. I, as soon as it pops up on my feed, I report it and get rid of it. I hate it. I can't stand it. Of people arguing. Now, I understand authorities ha have, have been abused among officers, but hey, they have among pastors too. And they have among McDonald's managers too. And they have Taco Bell managers. Because wherever there's people and there's power, there's a struggle. So we got to get off that. 
It drives me nuts. Some kid doing 100 mile an hour, an officer pulls him over. They crack their window that much and talk down to authority like they're trash and say, my dad's a lawyer, and uh, you can't, why'd you pull me up? No, I don't have to show you my ID. And they start going through all this stuff. Well, I want you to know that that spirit, that spirit does not just manifest with law enforcement. It manifests in the kingdom of God. And I feel, I, I, I told uh, Brother Thornton and I were talking today, who I know this church loves very much, and I, I love him like a brother. Brother Thornton and I were talking, said, sometimes I feel like we're trying to pilot a great big cruise ship, you know, that you just can't, you can't get it turned. And you look at our movement as a whole, and it's like there's a few of us that are turning as hard as we can we're not trying to go off far right. We're just turning as hard to the right as we can to keep it from going left. It's like I'm cranking for all I'm, I'm worth. And I feel like we preach the same thing. And I'm not here tonight. Please know this. I'm not here preaching at you tonight. I'm here preaching with you because I know the heart of this church. And I know where you're at and I know what you love. But, but I, can't, I can't live reading things like this and that it not shake me. That Esau wept bitterly and never found a place of repentance. And this is the spirit of that. Emotionalism replaces righteousness. It's possible to be moved by emotion so much that you can weep until your tears become bitter and you're still not right with God. I want you to think about this. And it's a spirit that's crept in. Now, I'm going to sound like I'm being critical, but I'm not. I want you to think about how many songs, and I gripe about it all the time, especially among young people right now. When you go to youth meetings, sometimes, forgive me if I sound like I'm being real critical, but I just want to puke. It's like every song has got to be sappy slow. Because we believe sorrow, and, and I understand that sometimes we need that. We don't have to dance, shout, and kick all the time. But sometimes you just need to kick your shoes off and shout a little bit like David did. Dance till people think you're crazy. And our, our worship, man, it gets to the place, some of our meetings now, where it's like everything is slow and sappy. And here's the reason why. Because it's easier to move people emotionally like that than it is to move them in, into an expression of worship. If it's dead, if it's quiet, if people don't want to dance and shout, we can shift gears and at least move them to tears because people are going through things that we can connect with their emotions. And, and this is the issue that, that uh, Brother Thornton spoke to me and I knew that God was dealing with me in the right direction. He was telling me that he was preaching at a camp meeting one night and, and we, we fuss at each other about this stuff all the time. Pastors vent to one another too. And he was preaching this camp meeting one night, and he told me where it was, and I'm not going to tell you. And he said that the, this team was up singing, and it was a, a slow, sappy, make everybody cry. And uh, all the kids were crying. And he said the Lord spoke to him in that meeting, and it wasn't for that night. He didn't preach it that night. He said, they are crying out to me out of sorrow, but they will not let me bring them to repentance. And if you understand the true principle of godly sorrow, it's that godly sorrow worketh repentance. 
We can't get to the place where we're willing to weep ourselves through a service so that we feel better and we get temporary relief from our carnality, but we didn't really pray through. And it's the way we live, putting God on a time schedule. We talk about other denominations being so traditional, and I don't know how they do that. They got an 8.15 service and a 9.30. How they get in and out in an hour, new people in, 15 minutes. I want to make you a promise. We could do it right here. We know how to trim the fat. We know how to make it happen. But when we, had, when we tried to do multiple services in the old sanctuary when we needed a building, what we ran into is that it was so hard to have authentic apostolic dynamic and reduplicate that. Because it's easy for us to get excited about certain things just enough for people to say they felt God and then dismiss them and let another crew come in and reduplicate that. And so what we do is, as a movement, can, can I just preach my heart to you right now, is we either work on their emotions through sorrow or we work on it through faith. And this is a, this is a Pentecostal deal. We work on it through faith. We go to camp meetings where we preach faith. And you dance and you shout and you run. And then when you leave, you're like, what they preach? Why did, I, why did I just dance? Why did I just shout? And it's like, it increases our faith. And, and, and we get all excited about the faith. And we're like, I heard those stories, but nothing's changed. And so here's, the, here's what I'm trying to get to you. You can't faith people out of carnality. I love preaching faith. I, I, that, that's, that's who I am. I love preaching faith. I love preaching miracles. I love preaching signs and wonders. But I told you, I think it was Sunday night. If you want to look at the difference, just look at the very same deal. When Jesus uh, blessed, broke, and multiplied five loaves and, and, and uh, two fish, then the very next morning he said, but if you don't partake of me, that's why man shall not live by bread alone. What Jesus was saying is that miracle was only for temporary gratification. It satisfied your carnal hunger when I fed you the loaves and the fish. But if you don't learn to partake of me, then your spiritual man is going to die. You were so hungry in the natural yesterday that I fed you with that. But now I'm telling you, you've got to partake of my blood and of my body. Jesus was saying to them, you cannot just live by the bread of this life. Carnality will destroy you. They thought he was talking about literally eating his flesh. And then when they walked off, Jesus runs the litmus test through his disciples. And he said, are you going to go too? And Peter spoke up and he said, where would we go? That's when you know there's been a crossover in your life. Where would we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. Listen to what I'm telling you right now. That the temporal miracles that happen will always attract a crowd. It's always easy to get people to coffee houses. It's a lot more difficult to get people on crosses. Oh, my, my. And so, God's been dealing with me about some things. I want you to go to John 15 and 4 with me. Can I just teach a little while tonight? 
John 15 and 4. I think most of you know this verse. Abide in me. And I in you. Now listen very closely to the language of this. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. In other words, take that branch that's got apples on it right now. Break it off and just go stick it in the yard. And see if it bears fruit next year. What's the issue? Is it not an apple branch? Did it not belong to the apple tree? Is the DNA and molecular structure of that branch not the same? It's absolutely the same. The issue is that the branch has now been disconnected from the vine. And when it's disconnected from the vine, you realize the power was never in the branch. Oh, my, my, my. Well, that's the most impressive part because that's where the fruit's hanging, Pastor. That's, everybody wants the fruit. I understand that. But you cannot have the fruit next season if you're not connected to the vine. And we are absolutely addicted to success. And so when we read this, uh, what we see is that you cannot bear fruit of itself. And so this leads us into prosperity doctrine and we start teaching about fruit. And it, it, it creates confusion in our minds because when we read it cannot bear fruit, we automatically teach and preach and think success. You can't have success if you're disconnected from the vine. Jesus was not talking about success. He was not talking about achievements. He was not talking about accomplishments. He was talking about fruit. Somebody shout fruit. What fruit would he have been talking about? What kind of fruit was the Lord talking about when he says that the branch cannot bear fruit of itself Except that abide in the vine, no more can ye except you abide in me. Amen. Think about the language. Abide in me and I in you. What does that mean? He's telling them, just like John 14, I'm walking with you, but soon I will dwell in you. He's saying when I dwell in you as the Spirit of Christ, when I dwell in you as the Holy Ghost, you cannot get the Holy Ghost and not have the fruit of the Spirit. But I'm going to teach to you right now about some things that I think uh, perhaps are, um, they're confused. Because this is, this is what creates confusion. Is this okay? Is everybody doing all right? Is that we confuse spiritual fruit with the fruit of the Spirit. Let me teach to you about spiritual fruit. You understand spiritual fruit was established on the third day of creation. Because on the third day of creation, it said whatever seed is put into the soil, that's the fruit that it's going to bear. So when you get in uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7, Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 7 sets the record straight. Be not deceived. 
God is not mocked whatsoever a man soweth. That shall he also reap. That is spiritual fruit. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. Because it doesn't have to be good fruit. He didn't say if a man just sows good things and that's what it is. Go to verse number 8. Would you look. For he that soweth to is. What's he going to reap? Corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit. Shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So you look at that and say, yeah, right there it is. That's the fruit of the Spirit. No, it's not. It's spiritual fruit. It is spiritual fruit that doesn't have to be positive. If I sow to the carnal spirit, I'm going to reap of that spirit. If I sow to the Spirit of God and righteousness, then that's what I'm going to reap. If you go to Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 22, you find out what the fruit is. What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is not spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of the Spirit in my life. The fruit of the Spirit, and listen to this principle right here that I want you to get. Spiritual fruit is what I automatically produce. The fruit of the Spirit is what He produces in me. Does that make sense? Because people that are around me, the lost that are around me, while I often affect them with my spiritual fruit, I cannot feed them with my spiritual fruit like I can feed them with the fruit of the Spirit. And this is tough teaching right here. People don't like this kind of teaching because the fruit of the Spirit is, oh boy. So we, we get lost right there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. Somebody say amen. amen. In other words, you cannot, there's, there's a, against such there is no law. You cannot legislate the fruit of the Spirit into existence. You can only have the fruit of the Spirit when you're full of the Spirit and you spend time with the Spirit. And it is the fruit of the Spirit in me. He that believeth on me as the Scripture has said, Out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Holy Ghost. In other words, when you got the Holy Ghost, there's always an outflow coming out of you. But it is the fruit of the Spirit in my life. Whether people abuse it or not, it doesn't matter. It's that love and joy and peace. That's what people are always picking from you. Am I right? People are always trying to pick the peace out of your life. That is a fruit of the Spirit. People are always coming to get that. So you get the, the, the Holy Ghost and you say, yeah, I got the fruit of the Spirit. But what you need to understand is that that has to be replenished on a regular basis because I've got to have the fruit of the Spirit when I don't feel like loving people and people have been wrong to me. I've got to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Let God manifest that in my life by being full of the Holy Ghost. That's the low-hanging fruit in my life that people are always picking for me. When I walk in to a workplace and people have have uh, lived in chaos they start picking the peace off of my tree 
And when you go home, you lay your head down at night and you don't have peace, you realize then there is spiritual fruit in your life that you've received from them because they took your peace and they gave you chaos in your thinking. Am I helping anybody right now? When you think about all these, and I want you to go through these in your heart, love, joy, peace. I don't, I don't have time to break all these down and preach these and teach these tonight. This is the fruit of the Spirit that's in me. Love, joy, peace. And I start thinking about all that. What is it people take from you? You, you get around some people. I, still, I don't feel happy. You know why? Because they're always pulling on that joy. But it is not their fault. Listen to Pastor when I tell you. This is not going to be easy to receive. It is not their fault if you run out of joy. They make me miserable. No, they don't. You make you miserable. Because you don't have the fruit of the Spirit in your life replenished. It's that low-hanging fruit everywhere you go. That long-suffering is a tough one for me. People are always picking on that long-suffering. I try. I try, but people get to picking on it. Start pulling it in my life. I got, I got to get that working in me sometimes. I got, to get that, I got to get that manifested and working in my life. Somebody shout fruit. Jesus said that, the, vine, that the, the, the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. It has to happen through the vine. You know how cool it would be if you and I could manifest the fruit of the Spirit if we didn't have to work on it in the Spirit? be easy, wouldn't it? I'm going to mess with you. But we automatically line ourselves up with the thought and the idea that when Jesus was talking about fruit, he was talking about achievements. And so, I got I to I gotta get this to you without you thinking I'm trying to hurt somebody. We have come to the place where people no longer have to manifest the gifts of the Spirit because we have learned to live off of our giftings and achievements. I know all of Pentecost is not going to hear it, but they need to hear this. As a movement, we are addicted to achievements. We are addicted to success. We are drunk on giftings. We're drunk on it. I'll never forget the time, and this is very, very strong, is how the Lord dealt with me. Uh, and, and, and I'm going to try to keep from getting too far sidetracked here, but I'll never forget. I was studying one time uh, on Demas. Um, I, I called it the Demas progression, how that Demas was faithful. If you go back through Demas's life, he was faithful. He was with Paul. As a matter of fact, he was with him. A couple of different occasions when Paul would write from prison, Demas was there in the prison with him. In other words, he was, a, uh, he was in the fellowship of his suffering, so to speak. He was with him. But then uh, when he sends for Timothy, he said, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Having loved this present world, right? 
So I'm studying all about this and how you backslide and how it happens, right? I'm, I'm working on all this sermon in my mind. This has been years ago. I'm working on all this. How do you go from being a fellow laborer? That's what he called my fellow laborer. And then he says, he, he's my partner here in prison. He's with me. How do you go from that to forsaking Paul, loving this present world? And, and I'm preaching about the backslidden condition of Demas as he progresses slowly from fellow laborer to forsaker. When the Holy Ghost stopped me dead in my tracks and asked me this question, and I hope you got your seatbelt on right here, because the Holy Ghost asked me this question. He said, would Demas even feel uncomfortable in this church? I said, what? He said, Demas, yes, he loved this present world. But he still felt uncomfortable trying to live that life in front of Paul. And he knew if he was going to live that kind of life, he had to forsake Paul to go do it. He said, but the Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, but here's the problem with today. We are so addicted to giftings that Demas don't have to live uh, somewhere else anymore. He can play the drums or play the keyboard or sing in the choir and still love this present world. Everybody doing okay? I want you to think about that. We're in a place in Pentecost where culture and the fear of not being relevant have strapped itself to us so very much that we're willing to make Demas feel comfortable as long as we can have his gift. We don't care about the fruit of the Spirit. We just want the gift. Culture. Culture scares us to death. I want y'all to do me a favor if you would. Please, please don't read into this any deeper than what I'm, what I'm saying right now. But the modern church is working so hard to be culturally relevant. Right? I want you to find me one place in the New Testament that the church was relevant as in like fit in with the culture of Rome. Fit in with the culture of Greece. It didn't happen. It's always been counter-cultural. And that's exactly why the Lord used the, uh, Luke 15, the prodigal, that he came back home and home was still the way it was when he left. The issue is that we have apostolics that have backslid from power and authority and, and, and victory and holiness and righteousness and the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And when they come back home, it don't look like that anymore. It's a culturally relevant place. Woo! There are three things that we can do with culture. Y'all may not be enjoying this as much as I am. There are three things that you can do with culture. If you're taking notes, you can receive it. You can reject it. Or you can redeem it. Now this leaves us a little bit of room right here. So let me explain it to you this way. I'm not saying that all of what's happening around us should be rejected because some of it I kind of like. I'd rather just redeem it, okay? This culture says it'd be foolish to try to build a good church under a brush harbor anymore. 
Because brush arbors don't have air conditioned and padded pews. So we've redeemed that part of culture. Does that make sense? We don't have to reject it. it it's wise. Well, if you, if, you don't, if you don't believe all that, you know, why in the world you got stage lights? Well, I don't have stage lights because I've always wanted to be a star. I have stage lights in here so you can see better and they can see us on the camera. That's a part of culture that I don't, I don't have to reject that. It's called technology. It's the house of God. We don't need the internet. Yeah, we do. If I'm going to preach, we need it. Because I had to sync up my notes from my laptop to my iPad so I could teach to you tonight. And if I wouldn't have had Wi-Fi, I couldn't have done that. You understand what I'm saying? I don't, I don't have to reject that. I can redeem it. One of those things is like uh, holiday things, okay? You know, you, you can get into this still. There was, there was a book called Pagan that was written many years ago. And by the, t- I mean, by the time you finish reading that book, like, you're scared to breathe. Everything's pagan. I, literally, I, everything's pagan. Like, the, day, the days of the week, they're all pagan. Sunday, it's pagan. The sun day. Like, the big bright thing in the sky. The sun day. It's all pagan. Everything's pagan. So why don't we just say, well, we're not going to live by the calendar anymore. That, that, that's part of culture we can redeem. You know, I, I'm going to make some people really uncomfortable right here. But there is nothing more pagan than, uh, that happens in our group than what we've made Christmas to be. I mean, it's, it's pagan through and through. It's disgusting. But we've redeemed the parts of this that are righteous. And we say, look, if the whole world's going to be off work, and even people that don't fear God and don't love God are going to take, take it off work, and there's going to be people that show up to church, let's redeem that. I mean, there's not even a, a, a chance that Jesus was born December 25th. Not even close. But I'm going to tell you something. I celebrate his birth every single day of my life. Because if he wouldn't have been born, then he couldn't have been crucified. If he wasn't crucified, he couldn't have been buried. If he wasn't buried, he couldn't be resurrected. I celebrate it every day. I'm glad he was born. So there are parts of this. We don't have to partake in what they're doing. We can redeem it for the the wholeness and the goodness of God and for the church. So when we get together, if it offends you for my family to eat turkey and dressing on Christmas Day, I am so sorry. But I'm going to redeem that time with my family. We're going to be together. We're we're going to enjoy the holidays. You know, my wife and I had an agreement when we got married 20 years ago. One year we're with her family, one year with my family. And we've never had regrets about that. We want to be with our family. We want to spend time with our family. Take any time you can and spend time with your family. Look, I'm just saying if the world's not afraid to have a whole month of pride, I mean, it's all about equality anyway. I told my wife the other day, I said, if this was all about equality, I'd like to hang me a, a big old flag out in my yard that says, I love my wife. I've got straight pride. How long do you think they'd let me have it in my yard? They'd be spray painting my house, stabbing my tires. 
Because it's hatred. They don't want equality. They want superiority. And so we're, we're looking at, at an age that we're living in right now where we can either, uh, we, we can either receive the culture, which I'm not going to do. We can reject it, which I plan on doing most of it. Or we can redeem it for the goodness of God and for the church. And, and I think we would be foolish for somebody to come to us and say, I usually don't come to church, but I came here today on Easter, which is not an apostolic word. But I came here today on Easter because I want to celebrate the goodness of the Lord and the resurrection of the Lord. Welcome to Easter Sunday. We're glad to have you. I'm redeeming that from the culture because I believe he was resurrected. I don't believe in Ishtar. I don't believe in, in, in the pagan goddess of fertility. I don't believe in any of that. It's all idolatry. It's fake. It's fraud. And that's why your pastor probably does Easter Sunday a little different than a lot of other people do. But I can tell you this. I'm not turning people away on Resurrection Sunday when they want to come worship with us. We can redeem it. But my point is this. We've got to the place where because we have so many blessings in our modern churches that we think with this North American mindset, you can't have a move of God without it. We're all messed up. I'm, I'm just telling you all the truth. If our air conditioning units go completely out in this church, we're probably going to cancel I'm just being honest. We're, like, we're probably going to cancel. I mean, be 125 degrees in here. Or have church outside or do, you know, we'll do something. So, we're, we're trying to work all this out. But listen, my point is that we've got addicted to that part of our relationship with God. We're addicted to the gifts and the achievements and the successes. But we've learned to exist without the fruit. And it troubles me. But in, 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 in prayer, I feel like the Lord helped me understand something. And, and I, I'm bearing my heart to you right now. I prayed and asked God why our movement has gone in the direction as it, as it has. And we're streaming, so I'm not going to call any names. But I'm just telling you right now. Hear me good. Hear me really good. There are some of these so-called churches and worship teams. We will not be doing their worship songs in this church. Because I understand the spirit behind what they're doing. And it's about selling the song and not selling God. But we are so quick. I remember the day. Uh, some of you that have been around the church for a long time can, can tell you that, that back in the day when, the, when what we called the charismatic movement really started building, everything they did, they imitated us. They did. They wanted to talk in tongues like us. They wanted to dance like us. They wanted to shout like us. They wanted to break out of all the other denominations. They didn't want anything to do with that because it was dead. They said, oh, no, we want Pentecost without law. We want, we want power without the law. We don't, we don't want to live like that. We want to talk in tongues. We want to dance and we want to shout. And so they would sing all of our songs. It's true. 
I've, too, I've, I've, I've been there services. They don't believe nothing I believe, but they sang our songs because people danced. And, and now we've got to the place where we're imitating them. Our, our preachers are removing the pulpits. And this isn't a sacred cow. I understand that. You can have church in the middle of Africa and use a, 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 a milk crate for a pulpit. That's not the point. I'm saying when we're moving it out of the way and we're, we're chillaxing in our jeans and a cup of coffee and we're just sitting back and I, I'm not going to preach today. I just want to come talk to you. Listen, we're replacing achievement, successes, and the things that we're addicted to to the fruit. I don't ever want to remove things out of my life that have brought fruit of the Spirit so that I can replace it with success. Is this heavy? Is this too heavy? Are y'all doing okay? The Lord spoke this to me in the office before church. Because I've been so troubled. I said, God, why do our, why do our preachers feel the pressure to imitate these dudes so much? I, I don't understand why our young preachers that are coming up, Brother Castro, feel like they have to imitate certain televangelists to have success. I, 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 honest to God, I don't get it. I just don't. I don't get it. But the Lord spoke so clearly to me, he said, because it's always easier to imitate giftings than it is to bear fruit. It always has been, and it always will be. And if you can have success by putting hind ends in seats, but you don't have to worry about intimacy with Christ. Listen, when you get the Holy Ghost, when you get the Holy Ghost, the fruit of the Spirit is there. But if you're still bearing fruit from the things that you've sown of spiritual fruit, you're still getting that. It replaces the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And you may be able to fill a church up from wall to wall till they're sitting in the lobby and people are tuned in on their radio in the car and watching on TV just to be able to get a seat to come in. But if there's no fruit of the Spirit and all they're getting is the fruits of success, we've missed it. Oh, God. I'm almost, I'm, I'm almost done. We got to a place anymore where we have training for everything. And I want you to know, I'm not against it. We're, we're redeeming education. I, I like it. But you take, you take, for instance, training altar workers, okay? Training altar workers. We're just going to use that one for right now. We're training people how to work in the altars. And when, when I do altar training, my first rule is always don't stink and have mints. I'm being honest. I don't want nobody smelling like armpits up there praying for me. Like, be clean. I don't want no halitosis up in my nose holes. Spend 79 cents and get you a couple mints and stick them in your mouth. Right? That's a good rule. God bless you for that altar training. But we're training. We, we train for everything. And, and we should have a spirit of excellence. I want this church to always strive for a spirit of excellence. But I do want to ask you this. Where is it, Brother Wendell, in the book of Acts that they did altar training? 
Let me t- <laughs> Kingdom culture did not require training. It was so ingrained in the fabric of who they were that everywhere they went, signs followed and signs confirmed the word. And when witches and sorcerers like Simon showed up, they didn't have training on how to deal with sorcerers. The Holy Ghost rose up in them and said, you can't buy this. You're going to get it the same way we got it. As a matter of fact, Their training was so limited that when the world looked at them, they said, these men are unlearned, but they have been with the Lord. Oh, I'm preaching right now. And we've got to the place that we'll accept the training as long as it looks polished, but there's no fruit of the Spirit involved in it. It could be carnality. And, and you've heard me tell this story about the night I was standing right there behind that keyboard, and the Holy Ghost spoke to me to look around the room. It was a good, really good crowd that Sunday night. The choir was really good. The sound sounded really good. The choir was singing really good. People running, dancing, shouting. And the Lord spoke to me, and he said, look around real close. And I looked, and he said, look real close. I said, God, I'm looking. What do you me to see he said I want you to see that 90% of what you're doing here right now you could do with or without me it's because that's that's what we feed off of I want you to think about this just in your heart and, and again I'm not trying to be negative but when somebody said how'd the weekend go and we say man we had good church what's that mean Think about that. Because sometimes we had good church is not your answer. Sometimes your answer is like, ah, it was okay. And then the conversation goes into like, so-and-so wasn't preaching, but it, it was all right. Woo-wee, did y'all hear that rat licking ice? Am I lying or am I dying or am I telling the truth? We're so addicted to certain feelings and certain successes and certain achievements. We're like, yeah, 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 we're, 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 we're bearing fruit. Listen, if the waters of baptism are not being troubled and people are not receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost, we are entertaining one another. We are not bearing fruit. Woo! And the Holy Ghost is calling us to a deeper place, to a deeper place. Come, come. Come know me. Come, come be with me. And then we go to the garden and we look around and people are following the most powerful man. And he calls a smaller group with them in, into the garden. And he's praying and he, he drags these three in there with him. And then when it gets heavy and intense, it's time for intimacy. He looks at them. They're all three asleep too. So he starts asking questions that I believe he's asking the church. Well, could you not tarry with me one hour? Well, Lord, we would tarry with you. But this Sunday is a special Sunday. And we have a promotion going. It's going to be really cool, Lord. You need to see this. Pastor's got a video opener that is going to rock your socks, God. You, you see where I'm at? I mean, I'm just telling you all right now. If online church goes away, some folk are in trouble. And, and, and I asked this question legitimately, I, I, out of sincerity in my heart. I said, what, what do you think some folks would have done 
if this whole process we went through last year would have happened tw 25 years ago when we didn't have streaming, what would we have done? I believe it would have looked differently. But we've started figuring out ways to get plan B in case the fruit thing don't work. I'll never forget, is this okay? Am I doing okay? I'm, I'm going to be done early. But I'll never forget when I was a boy, preacher, I, I was a young preacher and doing all I could. And, and every time I preach, my wife can tell you, it's so, it's so intense for me. Like every time I preach, I don't care if I'm preaching here or I'm preaching a convention. I preach right here like I preach if I'm preaching a camp meeting or conference. I do. I carry every time like this is the last time, like this is going to be the one that somebody's going to come in and get, like I, I carry it hard. And I'll never forget when this thing started going around, and I know I'm going to be criticized if people hear this and whatever, so whatever. But I remember when this deal came out, and apostolic preachers started this sermon subscription deal. Because the denominal world was doing it, and they were planning their preaching calendar, and you can, you can download for $300, you can download and we'll send you 52 sermons for the year, and you can make them your own. And nobody made them their own. They downloaded them suckers and preached them word for word. Well, that's bearing fruit. No, it's not. That's success because you made it through another service. Our goal has never been to have good church and just make it through another service. Our goal is to get people walking out of here with low-hanging fruit that's so heavy. You can't hardly walk. I'm so full of love and joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness in me. I'm, I'm so full of, when I walk out of here, people can pick all they want to. But tomorrow morning when the sun comes up, I'm refurbishing the branch because I'm still connected to the vine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to close out. But I want to, it's going to be heavy for just a minute, okay? Y'all okay? Are you still going to love me when I'm done? I've been preaching for over 25 years. I've been raised under the tutelage and sat at the feet as Paul did Gamaliel. I've sat at the feet of some of the greatest men of God you've ever met in your life. Not only sat at their feet, I've sat at their table and sat on their lap and let him feed me when I was a little boy. Every meal, Papa, I'd sit on his knee and he'd feed me off his plate. I've been blessed to be around some great preachers. But I've watched some transitions happen in Pentecost. And I want you to listen very, very closely to me, okay? I'm not preaching at you. We're preaching together here right now. We're, we're, we're together. And, and Brother Andrew, this, this, this got me. The, the issue is there was a time that I remember preaching to people who had the residue of the world on them. You understand what I'm saying? People would come in from the world. They had, they had the residue of the world on them. And, and we would preach the residue of the world off of them. And they would convert. And this is going to be heavy. I'm just warning you. But now we preach to a lot of worldly people who have the residue of the church on them. 
People usually get sidetracked a little bit, and we could preach that residue of the world off of them. Just get, get up one Sunday night every quarter and let it rip. <laughs> My God, don't cut your hair. Don't, wow, you don't never chew gum in the sanctuary. Like, it's fixed. It's good. Like, hey, we got that residue of world in us right off of them. And now, now the issue is that we have learned to exist so long without having to bear fruit that we preach to people that have the residue of the church on them. But the condition of the movement is moving in the direction that says, I just have to be godly enough for people to believe I'm godly. Now here it comes. This is, uh, this is my closing. So, But I'm going to tell you how your pastor believes. I'm just going to tell you how I believe, and I'm going to tell you how I live. I believe that if you are 99% committed to this thing, you are 100% lost. It is too late to be playing games with God. One of the most powerful Sunday school lessons that I ever heard as a little boy came from my grandmother. And she took us, we were in the, in the room that had the orange shag carpet downstairs. And she drew a heart on the chalkboard Sister Darla, and she started working through it. She said, what do you want more than anything? You know how kids are. I want a Corvette. I want a mini bike. I want whatever, blah, blah, blah. And everything that they would say, she would call her just a, a little bit of that heart in. She would take the chalk and just fill it in. And when she finally got the heart filled up, she said, now where's room for Jesus? I remember being like, bow. Mamma just put it on us. And the older I get, I realize it's like we got just enough room reserved for godliness to be able to fit in with the godly crowd. But it's like we're just, we're just churchy enough. That our worldly friends are like, yeah, they go to church. But are we worldly enough that the Lord says, but you're not sold out? And so when we read what we started with tonight in 2 Corinthians 6, and I knew there was no way I'd ever get done with all this. What fellowship hath light with darkness? Can I take you to a hospital room with a dying woman, white hair, bold as a lion in prayer, very, very quiet at other times, never caused me the first day of trouble in this church, never. She was a pleasure to pastor until her death. Sister Juanita Jordan. I sat down by her bed in the hospital room, and she just, she went in. <laughs> she, she, she just went in, and she said to me, 
she said, Pastor, it was almost like she was, she was challenging me before she died to hold on to truth. She was like, hold on, Pastor. Don't, don't ever stop preaching. And she said, don't ever forget that if your glove falls off your hand into the mud puddle, she said, the mud don't get glovey. The glove gets muddy. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> the reason why we preach and believe what we do in this church is not because we want to manipulate people and control people. The reason why we want to is because Paul said, As the Lord hath said unto you, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. And if you do, there's that conjunction, and, and if you do, then I will receive you. I will be your father. You will be my children. The carnal mind is enmity with God. I believe before the Lord comes, he's going to search through the earth and find the people who are not still in the wrestling match that some people are in today of whether or not it's worth it. Let me just tell you, if I could use this, and, 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 and somebody may be offended because it is a gambling word. I understand it. But listen, all my chips are in. I put everything I've got in this. I have no plan B. If living for God is a lie, if the Bible is a lie, if everything I preach is a lie, when I die, I won't ever know it. Don't you run off and say that I, I, I misspoke something right there. But I'm going to tell you right now, if what I've preached and what's written in that word is the truth, when I die, I'm going to be so glad that he has received me and that he is my father and that I'm his son. Let's stand together. God have mercy. I want to bear fruit. And I don't just want to bear spiritual fruit. I want to bear the fruit of the Spirit. I want you to go home and break that Galatian letter down. I want you to go home and break that down. The fruit of the Spirit is. And then stop at every one of those and ask yourself, am I bearing this right now? Is God able to produce this in my life so that when when I walk by people, that low-hanging fruit, they're grabbing for it all the time. Have I replenished this today? I want us to just... Throw our heads back right now. Look into the heavens. If you can, just raise your hands. God, I plead your blood over this church tonight. God, let us bear the fruit of the Spirit. We can't fabricate that. We can't make that up. God, we can't faith that in. We can't preach that in. It's something that only comes through intimacy with you, through knowing you, through living closely with you, and walking as your children and you as our Father. I pray, God, that the words that have been spoken in this house tonight would be well-pleasing unto you, O oh God. I pray that the spirit in which it was presented would be with love and kindness and not with arrogance, Lord, but that people would see the heart of God through me and that the fruit of the spirit would abide and be seen in me. I pray, God, that as we leave this place, it would be evident to the whole world that we are not our own. We've been bought with a price.
We are your sons and daughters, and you are our Father. We love you, and we honor you with the first fruits of our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, and let the church say amen.